We start with the NFL draft, which will be conducted remotely with team personnel working from their homes. The projected top two picks, LSU quarterback Joe Burrow, that guy, and Ohio State defensive end Chase Young, both expected to be a part of that telecast. After weeks of rumors, big boards, and mock after mock, the NFL draft is finally upon us. The first round kicks off Thursday, and we will be covering the big event all week. Beginning today with a preview from ESPN draft guru Mel Kuyper Jr. Which quarterback will the Dolphins take? Which wide receiver will go first? And will any team actually benefit from the move online? I'm Mina Kimes. It's Monday, April 20th. This is ESPN Daily. Hey, Mel. I know this is not at all a busy time of year for you, so (laughs) figured I'd give you something to do. I'm excited to talk about the draft a little bit more. Mel, you have been covering the draft for decades, but this is different from any draft you've ever covered. Has that made it harder in any way for you to project where these guys are going? No. In fact, I think it's made it a little easier. I think because the tape is so important, I mean, the teams are relying heavily on what they see, not a workout or a pro day or things like that, not overanalyzing players are watching tape more than they ever grinding more than they ever have. And I think that's going to help these teams uh, maybe even do a better job than they ever thought they could with limited, uh, so, so-called limited information. So I don't think it's going to be a factor. I talk to teams and they're not, they're not fearful about this. They're ready to go. And they think for them, Mina, it can be an advantage. They're only concerned about trades that maybe there won't be as many because you don't have some of the communication with your people you know, right in the room that you would that make it easier to, to either uh, go for a trade or, or back off a trade. So that's the only thing there was a little trepidation about was the trade possibilities. Well, let's just jump right into the draft. Your latest mock has, of course, Joe Burrow going first overall, Chase Young at two, Jeffrey Okuda at three. I don't think that's a huge surprise to anyone. You've got the Giants taking Isaiah Simmons, which is interesting. But then the stunner, the Miami Dolphins, who have been hashtag tanking for Tua for a year, they take Justin Herbert. Yeah. There's always a curveball, it seems like. And that's what, believe me, this is what you hear, not what I would necessarily do, but I'm not making that pick. You keep hearing Justin Herbert, they're very high on. You keep hearing Cincinnati's very high on Herbert. That's, I think, led to people wondering will, in fact, they maybe think about Miami, who loves Burrow. Maybe they, they want those picks. And they figure if we can get Herbert at five, I'm talking about Cincinnati now, we can make that deal. If they did, that's the reason I think it would be, is because of how high they are on Justin Herbert. We keep hearing Miami is. Uh, so if they can get him at five, They'll take him, and then Tua goes six to the Chargers. So it really just depends on how they feel about Tua's long-term durability. And, and really, beyond that, Mina, it's Herbert. People want to say, well, he's, he's, he's being overdrafted. He shouldn't be in the top ten. I talk to NFL people. They don't agree with that. They think Herbert's big time. So this notion that Justin Herbert, some guy that's being pushed up boards for ridiculous reasons, we talk to the NFL, they laugh at that. They think that's crazy talk. If the Bengals actually did that, I think that if they traded down and and got Herbert and gave the Dolphins Joe Burrow, I think that fan base would lose their minds. I don't think it's going to happen, but if it did, it would be for that reason. I think this just, I really brought it up just to show how much interest there is in Herbert. 
So I watched him at the, at the combine. Everybody gravitated to Herbert. So you don't have to be this boisterous, loud, you know, uh, you know, yeller and screamer to be a leader of a football team. But I think there are NFL teams that believe he can do that. And an injured Tua with a durability concern would be the reason why Herbert, who does have, as I say, a lot of love from the people I talk to in the NFL, the reason why he could go slightly, just one pick ahead of Tua. And I'll say this, Mina, if he doesn't go to the Chargers, Tua, then where does he go? That opens up all kinds of possibilities. Hmm. Well, let's talk about Tua. How much has he been hurt by the current situation with the pandemic, not being able to have team doctors look at him? I think a lot. You talk teams, they have, they like to have that ability. They don't have that where it got for a player coming off a significant injury with a hip. And he already had had, you know, injuries prior to that. What I keep hearing from the people I speak to is what's going to happen. Can he protect his body? Nick Saban brought it up. You know, he takes a lot of hits. Some pressure. Tonga Bailoa hit as he throws, able to complete to Judy. Gain a 15 on the play in the first down. Or watch Tonga Bailoa get up every single time. He doesn't seem to be able to recognize what's happening in the pocket because he puts his body in harm's way too often. And he holds the ball. And Nick alluded to holding. You got to get it out of you. Gotta, you got to learn when to go back and fight another day. You got to get rid of the ball. So again, there are times where he's got to be smarter. Will he learn that? And and once he's in the NFL, can he take hits when he had problems being fragile in college? I heard the fragile word. Yeah, learning to do this. If he doesn't, look at the NFL. Look how they get after you. So again, I think that's the concern is long-term, I guess short-term and long-term durability for a position. I brought this up this week, and there were people screaming at that. Everybody gets hurt playing the NFL. Everybody can get hurt. Well, not quarterbacks, Mina. There's reasons for teams to be a little leery of Tua that early when there's a big-time prospect like Herbert on the board at that point. So you have him with the very next pick being taken by the Los Angeles Chargers, who uh, currently their starting quarterback is Tyrod Taylor, veteran, bit of a journeyman at this point. Anthony Lynn, his head coach, has been enthusiastic about him. Do you think the plan would be to have Tua potentially redshirt behind Tyrod? Yeah, uh, we don't know what the situation is going to be with the NFL this year, uh, when they're going to play. Even with that being said, I would medically redshirt him. I would let the body heal. Uh, It's great that he's coming back from the hip. I love seeing all these encouraging signs. Everybody does. You're rooting for a kid like this. We know what kind of quarterback he is when he's healthy. To go to the Chargers, I think would energize that fan base, Mina. You're competing against the Rams. You can have Taylor there to be the, as you say, the bridge to Tua in year two. Uh, people say, was that so bad? Did Patrick Mahomes play as a rookie, Mina? You know this game better than anybody. Did he play? No, he played the final game, and it, Alex Smith was the quarterback. So again, Patrick Mahomes didn't have any injury issues, but he didn't play as a rookie. Well, I'm glad you brought up Patrick Mahomes because you gave me a segue to the next quarterback, Jordan Love, who, I want to say, I am not comparing him to Patrick Mahomes, but he does have... Mahomesian qualities, uh, the way he throws the ball. You've got him at 19 to the Raiders. Tell me why you saw that fit. The comparisons to Mahomes are exaggerated. 
I've done it before, so I'm not going to blame anybody. Everybody does it. We all exact. If you like a guy, you exaggerate it a bit and you go a little overboard. And I always said with, with Jordan Love, I can see the arm talent like everybody else. I watched him two years ago. Love what I saw when he had all those receivers and he had Darwin Thompson at running back and he was making plays and completing 32 touchdown passes. And this year you knew. And, and what I do in August when you're looking at guys for next year and you're looking at who they lost and what's coming back, you knew Josh Allen wasn't going to have great numbers that final year. He lost running back, center, tight end, receiver, all went to the NFL. You knew Sam Darnold wasn't going to have the same numbers. He lost all his key players, or a lot of his key players. You knew Jordan Love was not going to put up the numbers at Utah State, losing four starters on the line, and all those receivers and his top running back. So he didn't, and he ended up throwing 17 interceptions. From the 31, Love can't take a sack here. Can't take that either. Intercepted. You knew that, but he made bad throws. He made bad decisions. A lot of it had to do with him just forcing things. But the arm talent is real. Um, I think he's a first-round caliber quarterback. Some of thought that I've spoken to think second round. I don't. But in terms of Jordan Love, finding a spot, a landing spot for him, mean, I'd, I'd be anxious to hear what you think. I think the Raiders are 12 or 19. I, I went with a hunch with John Gruden that maybe he'll look to, to handpick a quarterback really for the first time ever. Yeah, I mean, he's got a lot of the qualities we know John Gruden – has liked in the past, the athleticism, the arm. We also know um, they're not entirely satisfied or confident in Derek Carr being the long-term future. So given that they've got a few picks, it makes sense to me that they might roll the dice. But if you think you need a great quarterback to beat Mahomes, then you maybe you roll the dice that Jordan Love could be that guy. And if Derek ends up winning big, what have you lost, man? It's a win-win. You still have Jordan Love. Derek Carr wins big or Mariota comes in, whatever, and becomes Tannehill, whatever. You win, you're happy. But if you don't and you see we can only get so far with this quarterback, then you have Jordan Love, who we know is kind of a developmental quarterback, needs a year or two. Everybody says he's got to get to the right system like Mahomes got to Andy Reid, right? Perfect. Wouldn't it be great for, for Love to be with Gruden and in year two, year three, if Derek doesn't get it done to the level John wants him to, which is winning divisions and winning maybe get to a Super Bowl, then Jordan Love would be there to maybe do it. So one team you do not have taking quarterback in the first round is the New England Patriots, a team that I think some people you know would put in the camp of organizations that might be looking at these quarterbacks. Why didn't you give them one? It was hard. Uh, you know, I, did, I didn't want to move Love down to 23. I didn't want to go with Jalen Hurts because I think it's, even though I heard that, and you can believe it or not, I heard that they have a strong interest in Jalen Hurts. Pittsburgh as well. I gave him the Pittsburgh Hurts in the second round. But I, I, I thought 23 was a little rich for me. 23 uh, for Jalen Hurts, a little high. Um, so I didn't do that, uh, but they could. Maybe they trade out of 23 and get into the early second and then look at Jalen Hurts. Uh, if, if Jordan Love's there, I'm sure they could look at him. I just don't see him being there at 23. So to answer your question, I just couldn't find the spot to put the quarterback that I felt I didn't want to drop Love that far, and I didn't want to push Hurts up that far. After the break, let's talk about this year's receiver class and how the draft will be unlike any we've experienced before. Mel, everybody is obsessed with the wide receivers in this draft. Uh, what order they'll go in, 
you know, how many, uh, one thing that surprised me about your mock was not that you had Jerry Judy going ninth overall. I, I think a lot of people expect him to be him or CeeDee Lamb to be the first, but that you had him going to Jacksonville. Tell me about that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do with Jacksonville. I mean, I didn't know. Uh, Kinlaw, I thought was a little hot. Javon Kinlaw, defensive tackle. Didn't really know what to put an offensive tackle there. I didn't, I didn't, you know, drop in Isaiah Simmons. I didn't want to do that. So I, I went with a guy who could be like I compared him to Marvin Harrison a year or two ago. A great route runner. I was with Marvin at the, at the Hula Bowl the year he came out. I picked him for the Hula Bowl. I picked the players that year, Mina. And he came into the locker room. And I was in the locker room. And I remember, you know, it's Hawaii. We're in Honolulu. And he came in just with the business-like approach. He had that, that, that game face on. He was just ready to just practice and play hard and, and get after it. And that's the way Jerry Judy is. He's not flashy. He's just a guy who goes out and does his job. So I thought with Gardner Minshew, if you're all going to be all in, if everybody's all in on Gardner Minshew, and then Gardner did play well as a rookie, then why not get him a guy like Judy to go along with what they have and they have some some very competent receivers no question about that but to get a guy like Judy in with what they have would really strengthen that football team's ability to throw the football or he'll help Trevor Lawrence in the future well, you don't, you know, is Gardner Minshew going to be not the guy that they think he is? Uh, we'll see. Uh, this will be a big year for Gardner. And then, of course, Lawrence next year, the, the first pick in the draft, you would hope, well, you would think would be him. Uh, I'm not going to say guaranteed like Andrew Luck, but you would say pretty close to it, I guess, Mina, that he's the Andrew Luck of next year's draft. So, Mel, you mentioned that teams aren't particularly worried, but... It is going to be very different. Everything about this, the logistics of it, how it's being run, the way in which these teams will be operating and placing their picks. Can you explain to us how it's going to work? Well, this virtual draft, the communication is going to be so key. Uh, they're worrying about their internet connections and hacking and all these different things that I know nothing about, Mina. Uh, all I know is if you have a landline, use it. Uh, have multiple landlines, use them. Communicate via the telephone. I always I get frustrated when my daughter will always say, I talked to somebody today, and I'd say, oh, good. But I found out it wasn't. I was texting. I don't consider texting talking. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be challenging, but you've had months to get ready for this. They had the combine workout where you saw everybody there. They've had plenty of time, more time than ever to evaluate tape. I think everybody's going to be fine. How it will work, I don't think they know I mean, until it actually happens, how it's going to work. I think they're a little, uh, you know, I guess, fearful of technology breaking down and things like that with the Internet. But uh, at the end of the day, I think they should all be fine. Well, let me ask you, Mel, um, you know, we've been talking about how the teams will be effective. What about you? You are normally on set at the draft. Where are you going to be and how are you going to be covering it for us? I'm sitting in the same chair right now doing this podcast that I'm going to be sitting in the whole three days. And it's the same chair I sit in when I do my NFL Live segments, Sports Center segments, whatever it may be, Sports Center specials, whatever it is, uh, through Glowpoint with uh, this chair. That's why I do with the Darian Mel show. I do sitting in this chair. I do the podcast sitting in this chair. This is the same room, same job. I'll be looking in the camera. At least you won't have the ability to communicate through hand signals or eye contact to know I got something or I want to comment after you do or I want to jump in here. Uh, that'll be different. Mel, we talked about how Tua has been affected by everything that's been happening with the pandemic. Are there any other players, notable players, you think might see their draft status change because this hasn't been business as usual? 
Well, I think some of the combine guys who didn't run it, like a Cameron Dantzler, corner from Mississippi State, ran 4.64. Four. But then nice to try to run a 4.54, four, uh, which I think he probably could have. Now, those are things where teams will evaluate how they played. Jared Pinckney Vanderbilt didn't have a productive year. They had a new coordinator. He didn't get the ball. Then he ran slower than expected at the combine. Those are the types of things. Or guys that didn't run at the combine were going to run at their pro day, so they don't even have a time on them. You know, K.J. Hamler, you know, he's fast. He was going to run his pro day. Didn't. So those things mean them may factor in just a little bit. They always say the eye in the sky never lies. I heard that back 40 years ago. The eye in the sky never lies. And that's looking at football players with the pads on on game day. And if they play great, and that's why we always have late round steals and undrafted free agents who make it because they're the football players that people got down on because they didn't test well. And the guys that go earlier, a lot of times the guys who test well but didn't play great. But you think, oh, it'll all come together once they're in the NFL. You know, it'll all, when we coach them up, we'll get all that talent to really uh, prosper, and it'll all, come, it'll all come front and center once they're with us. That's why those guys go early. And as I said, the, the, the overachievers, the productive guys who don't test well get way, pushed way down. Don't worry about those, that stopwatch as much. Don't worry about those computer numbers as much. Worry about how guys play. Well, along those lines, you know, in the teams who can find those undrafted gems and maybe lean more on the tape, what sort of teams do you think will actually benefit from this? Well, I think the teams that, well, I think everybody, to, even the Bengals have a lot of coaches involved in their evaluations with the time element being the way it was. I think a lot of teams said, well, they, they didn't want it pushed back because they felt like teams could catch up. So the, the, the length, the, being April 23rd, I mean, it gives everybody a chance, no matter how you do it. If you're scouting heavy, scout heavy, or you're coach heavy in terms of who really factors into your final decision making. And all the teams are different. Some value the opinion of assistant coaches more than others and the personnel people. But I think the teams that you see uh, that are picking at the end of the draft, I mean, look at, look at all those teams. If you see the perennial winners at the end, they're there for a reason. And I was looking at this the other day. Did you notice that there aren't any running backs when those teams went in the first round? Notice that the, 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 go from the, from the 18 on down. And you see any first round running backs with those teams? No. Well, they actually drafted them. Mark Ingram wasn't drafted by the Ravens. So, again, you know, you know, it wasn't a first, all the first round running backs in those teams were up there and drafted early. So, again, that's why we say, why is only one running back going to go and maybe not till the end of the first round? It's for that reason. Why are most of the running backs with different teams, even Todd Gurley now with Atlanta from just a few years ago? It's for that reason. So, again, that's why I've always said I wouldn't draft a running back in round one. If the grade was equal to the back, fine. But this year, Mina, you know, maybe DeAndre Swift out of Georgia, maybe J.K. Dobbins, Ohio State. Lewis Riddick thinks Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin could be. But I only think at the end of, uh, of Thursday, one running back will be taken in round one. Well, one exception for a good team is my Seattle Seahawks, who, as you remember, took Rashad Penny in the first round in 2018. But Mel, I'll, I'll give you a spoiler. for but He wasn't a key guy, though. That was, that's Chris That's Clark. true. And I'll, and I'll give you for a, a spoiler for the Seahawks. They're going to trade down. Get ready. They are. <laughs> trade out of the first round? Oh, always. Always. Well, I, let me ask you about yeah, your that's team. Their, that's their history. Yep. You root for Baltimore. What would you like to see them do? Well, I would like to see them fix the inside linebacker position, and they can with either Kenneth Murray, Oklahoma, or Patrick Queen from LSU. I would like to see them get an, an interior presence at center guard with Marshall Yonder retiring and you know, Matt Skura injury, and Makari did a nice job as an undrafted free agent. Fine for Eric DaCosta out of Cal. They find those guys all the time that get undrafted. But a little bit more of an interior presence there uh, along the line. Another receiver. 
You know, Miles Boykin needs to step up this year. Hollywood, you know what you're getting there if he can stay healthy. He's a heck of a player. But Miles Boykin's a key. I think they'll draft a receiver, draft another young defensive lineman. You've got Calais Campbell and Derek Wolf with Brandon Williams, but you need a, a younger guy there. And uh, they're set in the secondary. They're set at tight end, uh, set at running back. Uh, you know, they're in good shape, kicking game, everything there. But linebacker uh, is the key. You talk about history with the Seahawks or maybe trading out. The Ravens had a great history of drafting pass rushers late in the drafts. So Darius Smith, Pernell McPhee, Matthew Judon. So they will always take a chance late on somebody that slides through the cracks that can get after the quarterback. Mel, I just have one last question for you. Amidst everything going on, it's not always easy for us to get our usual supplies from the grocery store. Have you been able to get your pumpkin pie for breakfast? Here's the story, Mina. My wife, my beautiful wife, Kim, who does everything for me, everything. She makes everything happen. She always wanted me to have a pumpkin pie that she baked that I would actually never did, refused. Because I like the grocery store pumpkin pies, the Safeway pumpkin pies. Okay, They are my favorite. That's right. I don't need you to make me anything. I love this. So if you make it, I'm not eating it. And I did. Well, she has been making these pumpkin pies, and they have been extraordinary. Best pumpkin pies I've ever had. So what an idiot wow. I've been. I've been married now going 31 years, Mina. And finally, I'm eating Kim Kuyper's pumpkin pies, which are the best you'll ever want to eat. Kim Kuyper, truly the draft winner. Well, put up with me for all these years. She's a saint, <laughs> believe me. Thanks so much, Mel. Thanks, Mina. You take care. Coming up. What really separates Tua Tungavailoa from the other quarterbacks in this year's draft and the NFL period? So you just heard us talk about Tua Tungavailoa with Mel Kuyper Jr. Uh, there's been a lot of attention on his health after his season-ending hip injury. But our Kevin Van Balkenberg wrote a piece that focused on another unique facet of Tua's body, his left-handedness. Kevin, how rare is it to be a lefty quarterback these days? These days, it's almost unheard of. There hasn't been a left-handed quarterback, even a backup. Since 2016, when uh, Kellen Moore started a few games for the Cowboys. And then basically since that, no left-hander has been able to catch on in the NFL, which is kind of weird. It almost like defies statistical anomalies. So it's been very rare recently, but there are plenty of famous left-handed quarterbacks in NFL history. Steve Young, Mark Brunel. What's been going on in recent years? You know, when I went to the combine this year, I asked pretty much every GM and coach I could find. They ended up getting like 25 of them, different teams. And what they all kind of said is, we don't really know the answer. A lot of them speculate that maybe baseball is stealing a lot of them. But it's really hard to find like concrete examples of someone who was like a good high school left-handed quarterback and then completely decided, you know what, I'm going to go into baseball because I can be a middle reliever, I can have a longer career, I can be a starter like Clayton Kershaw and make big money. So I think that what people are starting to wonder is maybe our lefties getting pays out even before they get a chance to play quarterback as like a, you know, a teenager. 
Why might that be? Like, what is so unusual about throwing with the left hand? I think what's probably the most likely sort of thing is that football coaches are so in love with details and routine and sort of sticking with what they know that they simply don't want to flip all their formations. Mm -hmm. If you think about like every single time you drop back, you have to sort of protect the quarterback's blind side. And if you're completely having to flip that uh, with every single play and thinking like, okay, where might the blitz come? Where might the pressure come from where the quarterback can't see it? that might make you have to rethink a lot of your different kind of favorite plays. And it just coaches are so kind of militaristic and specific about the stuff that they like that even little subtle flips, they might decide, I just don't want to do that. I'm not going to bother coaching lefty. One of the craziest parts in your story, you spoke with Steve Young, who said that his dad actually tried to train the left handedness out of him by tying his left hand behind his back. Did anyone do that to Tua? Has he always been a lefty? Have people tried to convert him to right-handedness? You know, what's interesting about Tua is that his dad actually, Tua is naturally a right-handed player, and he does pretty much everything else. He plays golf right-handed, he shoots a basketball right-handed, he eats right-handed. But his dad decided, for whatever reason, that he wanted him to be a lefty. And so he just forced him over and over and over again to throw lefty. So it's kind of the opposite of what Young went through, right? Where his dad tried to make him a righty just because being left-handed back then, there was sort of this stigma attached to it. And two was the opposite. And so when I told Steve Young that, he was almost kind of like flabbergasted. He couldn't believe it because he sort of said, you know, there's so much kind of like great touch into his lefty throwing ability that I just don't believe it. I have to have to convince myself that there's some left handedness in his DNA. Is there any chance at all that this impacts his draft stock or maybe how coaches look at him? You know, no coach will admit it. And I think that what most of them sort of feel like is, hey, like if you bring me a great left-hander, I'm happy to coach him. And so I think that while maybe back in the day, some coaches would have decided it like a tiebreaker, you know, here's a fifth round kid and there's two quarterbacks that we're kind of looking at. Let's go with the righty instead of going with the lefty because, you know, that just kind of, you know, decreases some of the variables here. But with someone as good as Tua, I think they're just going to say, you know what, there's plenty of evidence that left-handedness can work in the NFL, whether it's Mark Brunel or Michael Vick or Steve Young or even back to Kenny Stabler. You also mentioned in your piece that while left-handedness is increasingly rare in football, six of the past 12 presidents have been left-handed. Kevin, explain this to me because it's crazy. It is crazy. It's one of the kind of more interesting presidential trivia questions, right? Like it's something that some left-handed people feel like maybe there's something about being left-handed that makes you sort of more creative or more analytical or Mm -hmm. something that makes you kind of, uh, and I kind of wonder that maybe the things that make you left-handed, do they naturally make you less interested in football? That's kind of one of the more unknowable things, but certainly something that even Steve Young, when I posed that question to him, was like, you know, maybe that's true. Maybe football is driving away some of our most creative people. Kevin, are you left-handed? I'm not. Me neither. I guess we're just not creative or special, but we could be quarterbacks. We could totally get some seven on sevens and tear it up. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much, buddy. Anytime. I'm Mina Kimes, and this has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow.